The FSA can only work with what's in front of them. And at the moment, they're tasked with enforcing novel foods or, or implementing novel foods or regulated products. And they're doing that. Now, nobody is going to get authorised or, or pass through this process until we know what the acceptable level of controlled cannabinoids is and we know how we can examine that from a standard level. So what type of testing is required and to what sensitivity and, and only through accredited laboratories. Welcome to HPW Insights Over the Counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. Every two weeks, I'll be speaking with a self-care industry expert or insider about a key issue in the global cosmetics, OTC medicines or dietary supplements markets. In this episode, I'm chatting with cannabis expert Stephen Oliver about the current state of play in Europe's cannabidiol markets. Co-founder of the Canna Consultants, Stephen predicts that, after a long waiting period, we may be about to see some movement from UK and EU regulators. However, while the European Commission moves closer to finding a route to CBD regulation, especially with synthetic and isolate CBD food products, the UK Food Standards Agency might find itself on the wrong end of legal actions from manufacturers and suppliers that feel disadvantaged by the country's approach, he thinks. Yeah, well, let's just start at the beginning. Um, there is a lot going on. Um, and I suppose we should probably deal with the latest announcements from the FSA. So what, so what we know is they have this self-imposed deadline of the 31st of March, by which time you had to submit your dossier. That then changed. They've got new to market, which we'll come on to shortly. And what we now know is there were at least 800 applications. That's probably down well below 200 now, probably closer to 150. So that 600 odd applications have either been withdrawn by the market participant because they couldn't answer the questions that were posed. It's been rejected because they've been asked questions and they haven't supplied the answers. Um, And it's left us with this group of people who are still going through the process. Now, there are three categories, I suppose. We've got clients in all three categories. So we've got people that have conducted all of the toxicology type work that has been requested continuously by the FSA. And they're in a position now where I think they will end up on the the validated list. We've got the second set of people who are in a collegiate um, sort of a group approach. And that involves both you know, companies like the ACI and, and IA, the, the Hemp Association, where they've identified one or more ingredients. They're going through the toxicity and they're, and they're intending that all of their participants can read, read across and utilise that data. Problem there is you've got the people that have invested the money, the first group I talked about, who are saying, hey, hang on a minute. You said we had to do this on each individual ingredient. Now you're going to allow people to go through. And then you've got the the collegiate approach and those organisations are asking the FSA to determine whether or not they will be able to use that data. And the FSA haven't formulated that policy yet. So there's there's a risk there. They will go on to what's called the on hold awaiting further information. And then what happens is it's passed to the risk assessment team. And the risk assessment team will comprise of people who are, one would hope, competent at at, at analysing and looking at risk and whether it's been mitigated in the efficacy of these products so i don't think those people will have an answer for quite some time the third group of people and again we have those clients who have said there is no requirement for for animal testing certainly not on isolates because we've got all the opinion data and the fsa have said no 
there's still a risk you've got to do this work so we've got other people now who are clambering to do that type of work whether that be in a collegiate approach or in individually and we've got questions being posed as to how, how how's the fsa going to stagger that this you've had you've had covid this disruption laboratories it's got to be good laboratory practice we know we've got data coming in from the states that isn't so the, there's a big fact finding mission going on here and to be honest with you it's, it's it will unravel um and i don't know whether it'll unravel favorably or unfavorably because we're going to end up with two lists and let's say they're, they're going to be done in march those lists will certainly comprise of, of companies with products that were not on the market prior to the 12th of, of, of February 2020. Why do I say that? Because they're releasing new products every day. You only need to look on social media and LinkedIn to, to see that. And you've also got people who are, who are trying to do everything that they can, who didn't have their products on the market, who may not make that list, who end up with a validated application. So you've got a product which isn't considered safe that's allowed to, to, to well, you've got a product that isn't deemed to be as safe as another product, which is allowed to stay on the market, but the product that's now passed the validation and moved into risk assessment by the FSA's policy can't stay on the market. So that makes it a little bit confusing. You then need to add three other things into the mix. So testing. We've got to talk about control cannabinoids. And be, before we come on to the advisory committee and the misuse of drugs and the and their kind of answer, um, the world's greatest dodge of a question, in my opinion. But then, my, before we come on to that, we've got to start, how do you how do you determine what's in the product? We've got no standards, so we had the ring ring trial, and we know Socotec came out top and demonstrated that they can really look uh, with, with a, a degree of accuracy. Um, and in depth at the composition of these products. But we've got, we've got other laboratories and we've got people using HPLC machinery where they're not actually able to determine what the cannabinoid content is or not to a sufficient level. So what do we do? Do we test for 10 cannabinoids, 12, 14, 17? How many controlled cannabinoids do we, do we test for and to what level? And what we know is that British Standards Institute are, are now addressing just that problem so we've got people participating in, in that consultation and we will i would hope at the end of this year covid permitting and, and the world getting back to normal at the end of this year or early next year we'll have a standard so these products will have to be tested to a certain standard ucas so the accreditation um body will be able to award a specific cannabinoid standard rather than you know the 17025 which which is bounded about a little bit too much and, and the methodologies aren't perfected so we'll have these standards so then we know right you can test these products to this level so what happens to all those people who are on the validated list or the um valid not yet validated but waiting further information are they going to be told i'm afraid your testing falls out of those parameters can you go back and redo all of this testing and that doesn't even get to the question of what's going to be the permissible amount of THC in a product. It would appear that the ACMD, I think, dodged, dodged the real question. They were, they were given two tasks. One was look at the, the, the three-part exemption, which has been hijacked by the CBD trade to say that, you know, this isn't intended for ingestion. What we want you to do is, is ingest the CBD but we'll market our products at full, as full spectrum. It's not easily separatable and a, any one container can't contain more than one milligram. So the Home Office, we know, are very unhappy about that. So they tasked the ACM, 
uh, advisory committee on the misuse of drugs to eliminate that. And they did that. They answered that question very well. So there's a new element in that exemption, which means that regardless of all those other points, unless this is for research and development or, or for medicinal use, this exemption doesn't apply. So what does that do? That leaves us in a position now where there is no licensed activity whatsoever in the United Kingdom for CBD products. And that places manufacturers in a bit of a precarious position. We know that all the base ingredients are coming in. 90% of them are, are coming in from abroad. So your isolates and, and your distillates and, and all of your ingredients. And they've been manufactured by a number of very large manufacturers in the UK who have no authority to deal or handle those ingredients. So what we need is the Home Office to, to set the standards. We have DSI set the standards. The Home Office to decide what is an acceptable level of controlled cannabinoids. So below this level, it's a food it's fine. Above this level, it's a narcotic. Therefore, it, it can't go through the novel food process. Let's go back to the normal food process. At the moment, we know that we've got some products which are going to be on the validated but awaiting information, however we describe the list, who are probably going to be thrown off when the Home Office comes back and says um, the level is one milligram and they breach the one milligram rule. So having been validated, had their products on the market and trading standards officers being told that one's fine. Trading standards officers are going to get another list saying, I'm sorry, now it's a narcotic. So can you take those off the shelves? So the FSA can only work with what's in front of them. And at the moment, they're tasked with enforcing novel foods or, or implementing novel foods or regulated products. And they're doing that. Now, nobody is going to get authorised or, or pass through this process until we know what the acceptable level of controlled cannabinoids is and we know how we can examine that from a standard level. So what type of testing is required and to what sensitivity and, and only through accredited laboratories. So the whole thing, if you like, is, is a one giant data gathering exercise. And, and I think people think that the finishing line is here. You know, I was watching one of our speed skaters yesterday and unfortunately there was one lap to go and he lifted his skates up because he thought he'd crossed the finish line. And I think it's probably a good analogy for the CBD industry because we've got people jumping up and down saying, hey, 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 but you, you haven't even started the race. If it's the London Marathon, you've completed the first five miles. There's, there's a lot more to be done. It's very unfair for a lot of people who are trying to do the best because there isn't really a clear policy. There may be that we're, that we're not aware of, but I think the policy has to be what can be allowed. Then once we know what, what you could make, and hopefully once there's a license available to make that, then we can look at what's safe and, and what could be classed as a, as a food ingredient. So that's my sort of little summary there for you, David. <laughs> well, as exhaustive as always. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so to summarise, um basically yeah what you're saying is a logical way to go about this would be to to set what level of cbd you can have in a product or, or tac yeah control yeah, level. exactly sorry and then um and then yeah that on that basis then you can have products made that can then be tested um and then you also need the kind of testing infrastructure there so that everyone knows you know what what a product says is in it is in it that, I mean, that's a whole new ballgame. But yeah, the starting point has to be, can you tell us where, when something stops becoming a food and becomes an narcotic? So the, they've identified there are 12 controlled cannabinoids. We can test for five of them. The ACMD seem to believe that C, CBN, which is only controlled in the UK, is, is 
is right. It's you know, it's, it's not really a psychoactive. It doesn't get you high in those levels. So someone needs to make a decision. Then, as a manufacturer or or a retailer, you can say, okay, I know this product's lawful. Now what I've got to do is comply with all of the existing law, which they should be doing anyway, because you know when we when we buy a can of you know Coke or when we get a Mars bar. You would hope that somebody has tested that to make sure that it doesn't contain a whole host of bacteria, you know, like Campylobacter and Staphylococci, E. coli, to make us poorly. So you'd hope that these products were food safe. That would have been a good starting point, I think, for the FSA, because that would have eliminated quite a lot of the industry. You've got cottage industry being made in kitchens and, and not, not in food safe uh, environments. Then you're quite right. There's a massive problem with the CBD industry with how to homogenize and mix it. and a lot of these products going through the process and still in the process with novel foods, there's an inconsistency in the CBD content. Now, with most products, whether that be a pharmaceutical ingredient or whether that be a food ingredient, and we're talking about vitamin content or, or, or nutritional content, there are parameters. So if you say it's got a thousand milligrams of TA, uh, sorry, of vitamin C, it could be 15% either side. So, you know, we've got standards set by the European Commission adopted by the UK. We've got none. We don't know whether a CBD product's got to work within 10% or 15%. And we're talking about milligrams here in, you know, 10 milliliter or, or, or larger products. Chocolate bars. you know, I mean, can a chocolate bar be a supplement? I don't know. It probably should be classified as a general food. So it's exceptionally difficult. We know when you put it into a can that the likelihood is if you say it's got 25 milligrams, 25 milligrams where it's in. Is there an issue with the fact that you can never get 25 out because of scaphing, because it sticks to the inside of the can or, or you know, it's problematic. Degradation as well. We, we know that these products are unstable. If you keep CBD isolate at a very low temperature and, and out of the light, it's very stable. But once you start playing around with it, we see a drop off. So, again, let's have some standards so that we know we can claim a 12 month step shelf life as long as the CBD level doesn't drop by more than 10 percent and we know that if you expose these products to sort of traditional accelerated um, food stability with high temperatures and light it affects cannabinoids so it's not an appropriate test so yeah you, you're quite right I, I, and I'm not blaming the FSA I had the FSA had everybody abided by the law and not release these products on the market, I think we'd have had a clear pathway. So industry's to blame as well. You know, we had this CBD rush, but we've got to have a pragmatic approach. And the first thing I think is, is it legal or not? If it's legal, it can be a food. And if it's a food, you've got to show that it's safe. And it's almost as if the novel food regulations are being utilised as a, as a, a data gathering exercise so that the regulators can see what's out there. Um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so it seems like maybe the, um, I don't know if it's the right word, but, you know, the FSA is kind of stalling a bit because, of you know, the mess around all of this, like you say, would have been, a, there's a much more logical way to go about it, but it's possibly shut off by the way that it's, you know, happened now. Um, so, yeah, it's got to sort all this stuff out. But, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of coherence with all the different departments that need to be working together, you know, like. There's what? not. Let's cut some slack, David. You know, COVID, work from home, civil service departments. There's there's been a huge sort of fractured disparity. I imagine had we not had COVID, they'd have been working together trying to solve these problems. There was a deluge of applications. 
we told them, we warned them, they they failed to anticipate. That's that that is fault. But you're right. They probably could have expected that the Home Office um, would have made a decision. Maybe the Home Office are accessing this information. Um, we know in government, you know, the Home Office are, are, are the prohibit prohibition department who for 70 years have been actively discouraging um, anything to do with cannabis. So at least the, at least the Food Standards Agency, one would say, have indicated that they, there's an industry there. We just need to work out how how people achieve the as yet unknown standards that will be applied. I'm not sure that they're sort of delaying intentionally. Um, I, I think they're working through and we're seeing a lot of questions that have come out, which are, which are pretty not really standard novel food questions. So, what, I mean, one example is, um, and this is down to the suspicion with cannabis and, and again, a lack of policy. We've got all these different strains of cannabis. You know, some have got lots of THC, some have got hardly any THC. We've got industrial hemp, we've got marijuana, however you want to classify it. But if we're looking at an isolate, you're looking at an active pharmaceutical ingredient, essentially. So it's above 98% purity, above 99% purity in some instances, consistently. And for that compound, it's irrelevant, it's irrelevant what the source was, really. You know, if we're seeing the synthetics, which I know you want to talk about, which, you know, come from orange peel terpenes or come from yeast. Why does it matter if it comes from a cannabis plant or if it comes from the shell of a creature living at the bottom of the Mariana's Trench? At the end of the day, is what's if it's identically... You know, if it's chemically identical, then it's chemically identical. So novel food regime uh, states that you should take five batches and, and demonstrate the ability to produce them consistently. What it doesn't say is, can we go back to the fields and the biomass and can, and can you start testing the biomass? Now, to me, I don't understand the relevance, whether we have one farmer's field or, or one unit producing the biomass or whether we take it as they routinely do in North America and most parts of Europe from, from a number of suppliers. As long as that extraction process is is robust and you end up with a with a a compound which is consistent, then that's an irrelevance. We've got we've got cultivators who are used to cultivating hemp, and essentially what they, what they're trying to do is increase yields and, and produce a consistent what we call a botanical fingerprint, so consistent cannabinoid content, and making sure that at the, at, at the point that that is either going to be you know dried or extracted that pesticides are are absent and you know all, all of the sort of mycotoxins and what we've been asked to do now is go back a step further and, and that to me tells me two things firstly it tells me they don't really understand what these ingredients are and secondly we, we still have this huge hangover that it's cannabis because if this was from a, another source another botanical source they treat it entirely differently you know we don't have any products that are derived from botanical sources that can be as consistent as they're trying to achieve. So if you if you take the Epidiolex, you know, their their isolate was 98% proof. Now, if you can achieve that as a commercial extractor and exceed that, it should be deemed to be equivalent. And, th and that brings me on nicely to substantive equivalence, because until the FSA decide what the parameters are, so if it's an isolate, can it be from 96? And above, if it's a distillate where we've got other cannabinoids, what are the acceptable levels of, say, CBG? So until they, they, they set that framework and they can't do that until they're dealt with the control cannabinoids. So that's that's way off. Um, then this collegiate approach is, is problematic because if we've got 10 different distillate suppliers 
they may all have the CBD around about the 94 to 96%, but that remaining five, four, five, six percent, CBC, CBG, you know, it, at what point do the regulators come concerned? And at what point does that level of CBG, which could be at 1.5 to, to nearly 2%, when does that become a new novel ingredient? So I think the distillates is very difficult. I think there's justification there from a regulator's perspective to say we actually don't know what these compounds do yet. From an isolate, we do. And I, I, I suspect, and the mu mood music tells me, they're comfortable with isolates. They're uncomfortable with anything that's not an isolate. And that's why I think the journey ahead is going to be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, and very difficult for, for somebody who wants to, to manufacture a white label. Yeah, interesting. And then this obviously links to the EU, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I'm just before we move on to the EU situation, like what? So what do you think in terms of a timeline? Is it impossible, um, or have you got a rough idea where, you know, we might start to actually see more names on the list because we've only got a handful of products on the on the list so far. I think we'll see names on the list next month, but I think that's going to open up a huge can of worms. Um, I think we might see some. I think we'll see legal action. I think we might well see uh, injunctions. I think we might see some petitions. Um, and I think that might be holding things back because there are people now gathering data. And I don't think you can make a, a disparity. What the regulator has to be is proportionate. And being proportionate with regard to how they deal with this is, is a minefield for them. So I think we'll see these names. I think that list will change. I think other people will get added to it. So I think if you become validated at a later stage, how can you how can you deal with that product differently? You can't have this crazy situation where we say if you were breaking the law longer than anybody else will will favour you. Um, you know, I've got a client who who intentionally never marketed their products, and they're now faced with a situation. And I've mentioned this to you before, David, where they, they're going to be penalised for being legally compliant. That can't happen. Um, I think we'll see the list grow and contract. I think when the Home Office makes a decision on the level of um, controlled cannabinoids, unless they're exceptionally generous, and I can't see that happening, to be honest with you, then we're going to see a, a large or a small amount of people who have gone through this process, been encouraged to invest a huge amount of money, find out that it's, it, your product can't be classified as if it's a narcotic, so goodbye. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve. Um, the big question for me is, and, and the question I get asked all the time is, what what should I be doing? Um, and I think the main the main thing is look for transparency from your manufacturer and ingredient supplier. So hopefully they will be telling you which stage they're at. Now we know if people are having positive outcomes from the FSA that they're shouting it from the rooftops. We also know there's 600 companies that got the Dear John letter. And I haven't seen a single admission of that on social media. So ask questions, seek evidence. What I'd also say is be very careful about your product choices and try and read. I keep talking about the mood, mood music, but read the mood, mood music. You know, we've got the we've got synthetic products that have been validated and none of them have been authorised. They're still going through the risk assessment phase. So to anybody, it should be fairly obvious that the safest area is within the isolates. Risk increases when you have a broader cannabinoid content in, in a product. Entirely up to you what your attitude, attitude for risk is. 
if you're going to do that, I'd look at other markets and I'd look at being able to spread your risk so that if a UK market ends for everything other than isolates, at least you've got an out, an outlet for your for your products. Um, there will be a lot of people who be, are being told and believe that everything is going fine, who will get a shock when this list is produced. And I think there'll be some phones uh, running red with a number of producers. Um, so I, I think the fun will continue. And again, acting proportionately, if somebody's been responsible and somebody has done all that they're required to do, so if they've looked at the composition of their products, if they've been through stability, if they've looked at the admin element of them, if they've looked at the nutritional, if they've looked at the full compositional analysis, if they've done all, followed all the food safety perspectives, and they've been misled by a manufacturer or an ingredient supplier, then you would hope that the regulators will allow them to move, as long as that specification can be matched, to a safe haven with somebody who's compliant. And I think that's when we'll really understand whether this is a move to eliminate the industry uh, by creating rules which are, which are impossible to, to meet, or whether it really is um, about cleaning it up. But the, you know, there's a lot to happen. Let's hope it's the latter. So, I think it will be, David. I do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, everything that we've seen from the FSA so far is is trying not to destroy the market, um, which makes sense. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Just a reminder, you can find all the Farmer Intelligence podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Please follow our podcasts, share with your friends and colleagues and comment on episodes you like. All of this helps us to be discovered by others and link with more interesting people to talk to. So, yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks for that summary of the UK. Extremely complicated. Um, what about the EU then? So we were talking about, uh, you know, synthetics and isolates. Um, from what I understand, the only ones that have gotten through the first bit of the novel food process are synthetic CBD products. Um, that seems to support what you're saying about, you know, they may be the, the least risky from the point of view. Well, of the I, I that will change and that will change imminently. Um, I mean, I seem to remember when we did the last podcast. I, it was it was on the back of an imminent announcement and I'm trying to crystal ball gaze. But the, <laughs> the commission are about to to announce um, the results of a question they publicly asked themselves about the, the safety of CBD. And I think what we'll find is that the commission and then via the EFSA, what they'll do is they'll 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 probably laser in on the areas of concern and maybe concede that might be the wrong word maybe accept that certain elements that they'd previously be concerned about are, are not necessarily um, required so that's about to happen we know that they're now examining botanical applications again and we're quite well progressed with them um, in relation to to a number of clients what's interesting is They've had this infrastructure in place for a number of years. The FSA were, were cut off because of Brexit and there was an embargo in sort of communication. And I think the FSA, once they helped draft the, the, the original guidelines, I think there's there's been a, a disconnect with some of the, the intelligence, if you like, surrounding this. So what we're finding is it's much easier to engage with the, the commission. And, and the way it works in, in Europe is, first of all, your application goes to the commission. The commission conduct this sort of 
um, administrative pre-validation check, then it goes to the EFSA and then they'll ask their additional questions. And we're moving through that process. And I, I, th I think there's, there's a movement with the UK going in one direction and, and the EU going in another, but I don't think it's in the direction that people anticipated with Brexit. I think what we thought was we'd you know, throw off these shackles and get rid of the red tape. My impression at the moment is the UK is embracing the red tape and, and the problems and the EU is trying to find a way um, to, to simplify this. That uh, We'll talk again in a few months and we'll know whether I was, I was correct in that um, you know, analysis. But yeah, we're, we're hearing good things. Um, they ask the right questions. They apply the normal food regulations. There is a massive movement in the EU at the moment to minimise animal testing and to try alternative methods. I think with regard to isolates, again, high purity, chemically identical compounds, I think will be successful there. The problem comes with distillates. Um, full spectrum products, I think, will will fall off a cliff because of the controlled content. They may have some respite in the European Union, but not in the in the UK. But there's a lot happening this year. The, the European Union is trying to establish a similar type of rules uh, and, and benchmarks, and they have the same problems. So what's an acceptable level and how do we test it? And I think they're working in the background together on that, because a lot of the laboratories involved are you know, cross-jurisdictional. So it sounds like the, you've got a bit more of a coherent, um, logical approach. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm reluctant to criticise the FSA because I think it's crazy because we've got such a patchwork of unharmonized laws across the European Union. The, the Commission and EFSA can almost sit back a bit and then they can they could they can blame or they can highlight one jurisdiction for being non-compliant and another for, for you know for turning the line. Whereas the FSA doesn't have that luxury. Um I think what we'll also see in Europe is because of this, whether it be decriminalization and hopefully in places like Luxembourg and, and Switzerland and then if the Netherlands can sort their problems out and then Germany with regard to adult recreational use makes it very difficult to penalise somebody who's after a health su supplement, which contains you know, a fraction of, of the, you know, the, the control cannabinoids required to, to get you high. Um, so I think that will that will have an influence. The UK, there are no plans in the UK for adult recreational use or decriminalisation. We're seeing it. It's not decriminalisation, but we're seeing police forces like Durham where they're, you know, they're not arresting people and, and nor, nor should they because they've got more important things to deal with. But um, but I don't think we'll actually see an infrastructure in place which allows companies to to cultivate and sell ITHC products for six to eight years. It's interesting. I mean, going back to the, the chat we had at the beginning, I don't know if, if it's ended up in the final uh, edit or not, but you know how we're decriminalisation is maybe not great for medicinal cannabis but um but yeah so you're saying that actually it is good for food supplements uh cbd industry because yeah like you say it doesn't make any sense to you know criminalize or uh or not allow supplements with such small amounts of the stuff that's in you know cannabis naturally and then people yeah. can you know buy it smoke it do whatever they like with it it's interesting because I think it'll have a detrimental effect. What what tends to happen is what we see is the reason CBD is so vibrant in the UK is because no one can get their hands on cannabis unless it's on the black market and they like it. They, they just you know they want they, they like the plant and they want their CBD. 
we don't see that same level of engagement with the CBD supplement market in areas where you, you, you can you can access other types of cannabis products for medicinal use or recreational use. And I think what will happen then is we'll, we'll have a divergence of the market. And I think you'll lose some customers, but then your pharmaceutical companies, uh, your, your real supplement companies will, will take highly purified CBD and they'll they'll make the supplements. You know, much like when I reach for, for my vitamin C, I doubt it. I doubt the contents of my Barocca B in the morning have seen a piece of fruit, you know, um, but uh, I'm content that the content is as stated and, and I'm happy with that product. And I think, you know, other people will squeeze all of their oranges for their vitamin C. So I think we'll have a divergence and I think you'll see CBD tablets. I think you'll see it in a much more accessible form than you know, a fairly unstable tincture, which you've got to put underneath your tongue and we don't know how much is going to get into your body. So I think it, it will really will evolve. Um, that's, when, you know, that's when you get in a consumer health, a proper consumer health product then, aren't you, like? Absolutely. Like and then you have, you'll have claims, you know, we'll know, you know, it, it, it is it is anti-inflammatory. So if you if you want to rub this this on, just like your DP or your Voltrol, if, you, if it's got CBD in, it'll take the inflammation down in your knee. Mm. Uh, and I think I think we'll get there, but it's a long journey. I mean, it's, it's still the amount of research that's taking place is is almost overtaking this sort of puerile novel food approach because we've got some real good science taking place. Um, and the good thing about the UK is I think we've got a quite a strong medicinal cannabis um, focus on trying to to conduct trials. So yeah, we'll see when we talk again. I'm sure a lot of those answers will. Will be available for us. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, like, in a way, it'd be the opposite of of people taking CBD products, maybe just with the idea that it'll like be not like to. I don't I don't know if many people take you know CBD oils to get high anymore. You know, with the association, but you know, maybe just part of that kind of you can't get a hold of like you say you can't get a hold of cannabis, but. So you have so you, but you can go and buy a CBD oil. But yeah, there'll be people that just don't want any of that stuff, won't there, in the future that want the want the actual health benefits. Um, and they'll be much happier to go and buy, you know, a CBD product, maybe even from a supermarket, you know, you know, like a like a tablet or whatever, like you say. Yeah. So, I mean we're seeing that now. And I you know, I, I go to some of these supermarkets, and I'll not mention the brands, and I see them alongside, you know, your, your vitamin providers, and I think, I, I imagine they're produced really, really well. And I look at these products, and I think, wow, if the consumer knew the, the, the lack of attention in some of the manufacturing of these products, then, uh, yeah, watch this space. But um, I, I think you're right. I think it's, although it's accelerated, it's still in its infancy. And creating real products uh, is is the path we're on. But it, it's definitely exciting. I wouldn't discourage anybody, but I would say you need to go into it with your eyes open and, and certainly don't believe anything anybody tells you. I mean, you know, everything I say about here, fact check it, do, do your own research and ask for evidence from people. The amount of people I hear who have just bought um, a novel authorised product is crazy and there aren't any. Um, so we've got sales teams selling these authorised ingredients and we've got the market flooded at the moment. Hopefully, the one thing Novel Food has done is it's it's reduced the quality of these raw ingredients because we, you know, we had a situation where a kilo of ice that was three and a half thousand pounds and then we've got it now. You can pick one up for three hundred dollars. 
and we've got people that can't meet these benchmarks so they're flooding the market with inferior products now that makes it very difficult for somebody to to acquire a consistent supply chain once we've got authorization once we've got enforcement i think we'll see a commoditization we'll, we'll actually see that the market stabilize and that will allow people to afford to produce the consistent products that that are needed yeah i think that that's when uh you know readers consumer healthcare manufacturers will be really that's when they'll really start to come in won't they because it's the risk level will yeah. be much lower absolutely yeah i mean you know fortunately <coughs> excuse me we don't see much consumer detriment um the consumer detriment is when people buy a product and it's got nothing in it um and you know they've been misled we're not seeing people fall ill you know um i looked at the mhra you know they've got the yellow card system and 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 <coughs> quite perversely some of the regulators have pointed to that as examples of you know issues with cbd when you look at down at the list they're not they're either they're either thc recreational products they're either products that um people were using when they're using other pharmaceutical drugs with side effects or they've been very badly produced cbd products which don't contain what they say they should so it's it's again it's it, it's strange that they would try and rely on that type of data when you only have to scratch the surface to see that it's it, 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 you know there's no efficacy to it thanks for listening to hbw's over-the-counter podcast please follow this and other farmer intelligence podcasts on apple podcasts google podcasts soundcloud spotify and tune in and don't forget to check out the hbw insight website hbw.farmerintelligence.informa.com where you can find the podcast as well as insight and intelligence on the global cosmetics, OTC medicines and dietary supplements markets. See you next time.